morning. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here with you this morning. And thank you for the warm welcome and the invitation uh, to share with you this morning. Um, I know Pastor John sends his regards from the men's retreat up at Oak Glen. Uh, just saw him yesterday, was up there for the day. And don't worry, Pastor John's up to his usual antics of getting himself in trouble, making people laugh, and just overall having a really, really good time, as he always does. So it was good to see him and hang out with him for a little bit yesterday. Um, and I know that the Lord is speaking to all of the men up there, and I'm sure that you guys will be excited to uh, receive him back and to hear what the Lord has said to them as they get back this afternoon. Well, I'm grateful that Pastor John was willing to trust me with bringing the word this morning. Uh, I know that I'm sure a lot of you guys are wondering, who's this guy? Where did he come from? Uh, why would Pastor John bring him in? So just to try to make you guys feel a little bit more comfortable, uh, I've started uh, growing a, a soul patch here. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you can see it, and it's not quite as long, uh, but I'm hoping that you might see some sort of resemblance and feel just slightly a little bit more comfortable uh, with, with me being here. So, but more seriously, uh, just to give you a quick, quick background, uh, I graduated from Duke Divinity School in 2007, and uh, after graduating, I moved down to, or came out here to Southern California. Uh, I was serving as a pastor in the Free Methodist Church in Upland, uh, Mountain View Free Methodist Church. I was there for a little bit, uh, not quite a year, and then some changes happened, and then I uh, took a break from pastoring and started teaching. So now I'm actually teaching uh, seventh grade. Uh, down in Escondido, uh, just about an hour south from here. Uh, I have 25 7th graders, and uh, I think 17 or 18 of them are boys. So it's, <laughs> it's pretty intense, and basically right now it's just, I'm just surviving. It's kind of like trying to survive, I don't know, a game of dodgeball up at the men's retreat where you get 60 guys together uh, in a gymnasium, and then all of a sudden just these balls are just flying everywhere. You're trying to survive and not get hit. So, all right, maybe not literally do things fly at me, but spending all day with 7th graders and 25 of them and 18 being boys, oh, it's like that. I feel like I'm just dodging something like all the time. But it's just complete insanity. But I love it in the sense that I get the opportunity uh, and the challenge really to try to find like meaningful ways uh, for the Lord to speak into their lives. And so it's exciting. Different, um, but something that, you know, I'm growing as I go through that process. So, and in our class, we've just, because um, I get a chance to talk about Bible each morning, uh, I get to spend, I should spend about 30 minutes, but because of my training, I spend probably about an hour. So those poor kids get like an hour of Bible like every day. But with following, like, say, the church calendar, we've just begun Lent. I don't know if you all are familiar with Lent, but that's the 40 days uh, before Easter. And during those 40 days, uh, a lot of uh, Christians take on spiritual disciplines and certain practices uh, just in order to to prepare their hearts and their minds for uh, the resurrection of our Lord at Easter time. So I've challenged my own students to begin some spiritual disciplines. And so they're spending time reading the Bible on a daily basis. Uh, They're praying and they're even fasting, which is really cool. But each day we take a moment in our class, uh, in the classroom, to just simply listen. We spend about five minutes in silence, and they spend time journaling on the lectionary text. Now, the lectionary, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term either, but that's just simply um, 
the Bible that's been mapped out over three years. And what happens when churches use the lectionary, they'll read four different passages each Sunday morning. And then within a three-year period of time, the church on a Sunday morning would have gone through almost the entire Bible. And so I hope you guys are okay with that. Because I'm familiar with using lectionary, I'm using it in my class, and that's where I've been spending a lot of my time. I hope it'd be okay if I could take and bring those texts to you this morning. Actually, three out of the four uh, an Old Testament, uh, usually there's a psalm that's read, uh, a New Testament reading, and then the gospel. So if that's okay with you, that's where I'd like for us to spend our time. We'd be looking at uh, the end of the flood uh, in Genesis chapter 9, uh, 8 through 17. Then we'll be looking at the baptism of Jesus in Mark chapter 1, 9 through 11, and we'll We'll have that all coming up, and so you can kind of follow along when we get there. And then also, we'll then end on the new life that we have in Christ Jesus, which is symbolized by water uh, and baptism, uh, that we'll see that in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, 18 through 22. So before we begin in Genesis, uh, I'd just like to open in a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, and we open your word, Lord, and we ask, and we know that you will speak to us. So, Father, we pray that as we read your word, uh, Lord, we pray that it will just begin to penetrate our hearts, Lord, that we will receive your words, prepare our hearts and minds, Lord, to to receive it, Uh, Lord, that it might transform us, that it might change us, that it might renew us. And as we look this morning, Lord, at uh, the symbolism of water, uh, Lord, at the flood and in baptism, uh, Lord, may we we be reminded of your covenant with us, Lord, your covenant that brings us new life through Christ Jesus. And Lord, I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be pleasing to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So we'll begin here in Genesis uh, chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, And all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth, and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. 
Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. Now I imagine that you guys know this story really well. Wow, we all grew up with this story, right? Noah's Ark in Sunday school. Uh, we even probably have maybe some, you know, for those of us that have kids, maybe some toys that uh, Noah's Ark that they can play with where they bring all of the animals and they place it in the ark and they get to kind of just think about and experience and, and be reminded of uh, what happened in this passage in Genesis. And we remember, as we recall this story that we know from Sunday school, we remember that Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless. And it was the Lord that commanded him to build an ark in order to save his family, but also the living creatures to save them from a great flood that the Lord was about to bring upon the earth in order to wash the world clean of its violence and corruption. And from that old story, we also remember the foolishness of Noah. Here he was, late in his years, Asked to build a large boat, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. And there was nothing around his environment to indicate that there was this impending doom that the Lord was about to bring. And in the meanwhile, all his friends and onlookers were looking at him, wondering, what in the world was he doing? Why was he doing this absurd act of building an ark? On dry land. And we probably also remember when we think of this old story how the Lord then gathered all of the creatures from the earth and the, the Lord brought them to the ark, and then two by two they begin to enter. And then we probably remember hearing our Sunday school teacher tell us, and then on that day, All the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. And the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And we remember hearing that the whole earth was flooded, that every living person and every creature on earth, except for those in the ark, were destroyed. And here, I think I have to just pause for a moment. Because when we normally hear that story told in Sunday school, we kind of quickly move on and just begin to think about Noah and and the animals and the ark and how they were saved from this great flood. But for a moment, I think we we just need to pause and not quickly pass over the significance of what is happening with this great flood Because not often do we remember that through the power of water, the Lord brought death and destruction. Now, we know water can be overwhelming and it can be quite dangerous. Uh, I don't know if any of you surf kind of close to the the beach here. Uh, In Escondido, I'm probably like 15, 20 minutes. I haven't been able to go surfing much, but when I lived back in Florida, I used to surf quite a bit. And, uh, and those of you that have spent your time like at the beach, maybe body surfing or boogie boarding, but 
you know exactly what I'm talking about when, when I'm talking about and, and speaking of the power that water has. Because I can remember like just trying like to maybe catch, uh, catch a wave. Massive, you know. Uh, okay, four foot would be massive for me. Five foot, yeah, pushing it. Okay, six, no, not going to be in the water. But this massive wave just coming and trying and paddling hard to catch it. And then all of a sudden, you know you're not going to. And the board falls out from underneath you and you wipe out. And before you know it, you're just completely underwater. And you can feel the wave just crashing over you. And it's dragging you down. And you're underwater and you're helpless. And all you can think about for a moment is, when, when will this wave keep moving so I can rise to the surface and you're holding your breath, and you're just waiting. And then you get to the top, you break through the surface, and you can catch your breath. And you just are reminded of the overwhelming power that that water has. Um, just as that wave crashes down over you. Or maybe you're paddling out, and it's a really rough day, choppy water. You're paddling out, you're trying to get out there, but the waves just keep breaking on you, and eventually you get one that just breaks on you, it just throws you violently backwards, and you just want to give up. You're like, I'm done. I'd rather just sit on the, on the beach, you know, and soak in some sun. Because you just can't sometimes beat the power that the waves have, that that water has. It can just be overwhelming, and of course, dangerous. And water is dangerous. And the Lord destroyed every living person and creature in the world with it. Everyone drowned. Kind of reminds me of some of the damage that water is capable of when we remember, let's say, the tsunami that hit Indonesia in 2004, killing over 230,000 people. Or maybe closer to home, Hurricane Katrina in 2005, which ended nearly 2,000 lives. Um, so too often when we hear this, this, the story of Noah's Ark and Sunday School, too often we don't pause at this moment just to reflect and to remember the destructive power that water can bring. And water has. Why? Why? Why do we not take that pause? Well, we want to hear the good news. We want to too quickly hear about Noah and his family and the animals on the ark. We want to hear about how after several months of staying afloat on this great flood, that the ark finally rests on a mountain. And we want to hear about how Noah opens a window and sends out a dove. And how the first time the dove is sent out, it returns. No dry land to be found. But then the second time it's sent out, it brings back an olive branch, symbolizing peace. Things are different now. Or the third time it's sent out, the dove just simply doesn't return. And we want to then hear, knowing that dry ground has been found, we want to simply hear about how the Doors of the ark are opened and Noah and his family are able to leave the ark and how the animals are able to leave two by two to go forward and to repopulate God's creation, to repopulate the earth. And we want to hear about how humanity has been given a new start. And of course, when we hear this story, what do we remember? Well, we hear in our passage 
that we remember the rainbow. For whenever, says the Lord, the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. We want to remember by hearing the good news of what happens with Noah and the ark and the animals. We want to remember that the destructive power that the water represents and has when it covers the whole earth through the flood. We want to remember that all of a sudden God has redeemed it by his covenant. That never, ever, ever again will the earth be flooded. That the rainbow makes that promise. That the power of water to destroy will never be used again to bring death. But instead, it's been redeemed. It provides and becomes a source of life. And the rainbow is given to us as that sign that the water will never be used in that way again. And so there's a redemption to the power of water. Not as a power to destroy, but now, all of a sudden, as a power, as a source of life. How wonderful it is when you're thirsty and you just simply want a glass of water. And how that glass of ice-cold water quenches your thirst. Just recently, I I began playing soccer. I uh, didn't really grow up playing soccer, but... Over the past like few months, kind of just found myself in it and playing. So I joined an arena league. I don't know if you guys know anything about arena soccer. Uh, then don't worry, because I didn't until two months ago. But arena soccer basically is uh, soccer where you play uh, pretty much, I think it's six on each side. So you've got five and, and a goalie. And it's a really small field, maybe like, I don't know, even a quarter of like a regular soccer field. And... So you, and it's also ha- it has walls, so you can you know kick the ball off the walls. But basically, arena soccer is like soccer on Red Bull because it is just complete <laughs> sprinting. Um, like you are just oh my goodness, you you just hope you can like survive two minutes because as soon as you hit the field, the ball is just speeding by, and you're just trying to keep up with it. So I remember the very first time I played arena soccer, and this was seriously. Only a couple of months ago, which is really embarrassing. But I get out there on the first game, and literally within two minutes of trying to like keep up with the ball and sprinting around, I was out of breath to the point of like almost fainting. I was tunnel vision. Like I just I had to get my teammate to like basically like drag me off the field because it was that bad. It got to the point where I was actually beginning to fall as I was running. Because I was so exhausted, but my mind just kept going. And so I'm trying to keep up with these guys, and I'm just basically tripping over myself. Ridiculous. And finally, I get to the bench, and I realize after just two minutes, seriously, two minutes, I don't have any water. <laughs> no water. Nothing to quench that thirst, and something to kind of bring me back to. Uh, <clears throat> and I just remember, like, just dying. Like, oh, no, what have I got myself into? So sit there, kind of cool off, get back, play another two minutes, and then I'm probably done for the rest of the game. But I just remember afterwards just finally going out and just getting that drink of water and just that 
the renewedness, the, the refreshing that it brought, that, that sense of just, oh, I can breathe. And it brought that life back again. And the water then all of a sudden, the power that it had on me was basically to just restore me, to restore that life. And as we know, as we all know, water is a source of life. It's something that we need. It's something that we depend on. It's something that when we are thirsty, we can just simply have a glass of water and our thirst will be satisfied. Now, I know that most of our attention when we look at, let's say, uh, this, the story of, of Noah's Ark might be focused on the water and the power that that water has to bring both death and life. But I think it's important that we recognize and we see that the power that the water has and the power that the water brings is actually only a setting. Okay, it's only a dramatic setting for the true crisis of the story. That is, the fractured relationship between creation and its creator. The power of water in this story is only a symbolic setting for the power of God's covenant with us. So the focus isn't so much on the water itself as that water is just symbolizing setting, providing the setting in which we get to truly understand the significance of the power of God's covenant with us. We know that after the flood, humanity did not change, right? Noah's sons and Noah's daughters, they still gave birth to offsprings who were born into sin. And even after the flood and after the world was repopulated, uh, we know that we are still born into sin. That we are still born outside of the relationship with God that He desires to have with us. And our sinful nature did not cease after the flood um, it didn't, the flood itself didn't change us. I mean, death is still our enemy and it is still our end. We are still mortal, but something in God was different after the flood. God's heart was moved. God decided to make a promise. God established a covenant. A covenant that said what? That he would be, at this time forward, eternally loving, gracious, merciful. That regardless of our rebellion, regardless of our state, he would keep his promise. He would keep that covenant. So God, once again, after the flood, entered into a relationship with his creation. But this time, it's different. This time around, God would be the one willing to do whatever it takes to redeem creation, to restore it to its proper place before him. God, this time, would be the one willing to go to die so that we might live. God would be willing to keep his covenant his promise, no matter what the cost, even if it meant death, death on a cross. You see, the power of God's covenant 
that's been kept through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that death no longer has the final victory, no longer has the final word, no longer will death cover and destroy the whole earth as the flood did. Instead, because of that covenant that God made with Noah, we now, through Jesus Christ, have what? We have hope. We have joy. We have love. Because God made that covenant at that time, that promise to bring new life to all those who remain in relationship with Him through His Son. And it is in that first covenant that God made with Noah that we are reminded of the covenant being renewed on a daily basis through the symbolism of baptism, the water of baptism. We see in Mark chapter 1, in Mark chapter 1, 9 through 11, we hear about a new covenant. We hear about the baptism of Jesus. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus saw, or as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my Son, whom I love with you. I am well pleased. In this moment of baptism, what happens? Jesus goes under the water. He goes under the water, and the water at this point going under it symbolizing death. So that what? That he might emerge out of it to declare that God hasn't forgotten his promise. That God's covenant is still kept. He emerges out of the water to say, new life is here. Never again will the floods come to destroy. And we see that God's promise is kept for as He comes out of the water, the heavens are open and the Spirit descends as a dove and the voice of God says, You are my Son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And we know that Jesus is the new Adam, the one that is representing humanity before God, the one who went under the water, who went to the grave for us so that God's covenant would be kept, so that death wouldn't have that final word, but new life now would be offered to all, so that God would be able to say to you and to me, you are my son, my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. So in this moment, when we see the baptism of Jesus Christ, we see again God's covenant. This time, a new sign of God's covenant that He has promised to keep. So what does that covenant mean through baptism? Well, we can turn to 1 Peter, and 1 Peter will help us understand 1 Peter chapter 3, 18 through 22, it says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteousness for the unrighteous, 
to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also He went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. I ask you this morning just to take a moment and to think of your baptism. Remember what that experience was like. And if you haven't been baptized, then think, dwell on the baptism of Jesus Christ that we see here in Mark chapter 1. And take a moment and reflect. Think about the experience that you had or that that we see Christ have, of going under the water. And being under the water and having the pastor hold you and you having to fall backwards and trust him uh, to to keep you and being there for just a moment, not sure how long this is going to last. What is really going on here? Um, I have to hold my breath, but sometimes I get dunked too quickly and I don't have time to catch my breath. And what... And then all of a sudden, you emerge out of that water. And you remember all of a sudden to breathe. To experience that new life. That comes through the symbolism of baptism. When we remember the waters of baptism, we remember that the waters of the flood and the covenant that God made with Noah, that He would never again flood the earth. That He would go to the cross for us, that He would not leave us or forsake us, we remember in that moment of our own baptism what that is like. And we remember that God's covenant now, through baptism, through the baptism of Jesus Christ and the baptism that we experience, that that water now symbolizes a source of life. That water now symbolizes a living Spring, a spring of water that we can return to over and over. We can remember our own baptism and know in that moment we experience death, the same death that Christ experienced, so that we could be resurrected, emerge out of the water in the way that Christ did, so that we too might experience that new life in Him. For a living spring is a spring that we can go back to because it's giving us It's a living spring that we can go to because through that relationship with God, our fears are eliminated. It's an eternal source that is going to always be satisfying our thirst. And God's promise, like a rainbow, says that He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't forgotten you. Like Noah, who's floating out there 
an earth that is just completely covered in water, God hasn't forgotten him. And like Noah, he remembers that you too might be weathering the storm, that you too might be feeling the rain just pouring down and crashing over you and the floodwaters are just rising up around you and we feel hopeless and we feel like, where is this going? When will I have that moment of hope that the window can open and that dove won't return again? When can I have that moment when things finally rest and I can have peace? We know because of that promise, that rainbow that God hasn't forgotten, that he remembers. When I was seven years old, my family and I, we lived in Germany. Uh, My father is an officer in the U.S. Air Force. Uh, He's still current active duty, and right now they are living in Germany. Uh, But we lived in Germany a long time ago when I was uh, six to nine years old. And I remember uh, my parents... They, they never lived on base. We always kind of just lived out on what we would call the economy, just like the regular like, uh, culture that we were a part of. And so we lived in this really, really tiny, small uh, German town. And I don't know if you've had an opportunity to travel to Europe, but uh, just picture in your mind this, uh, like a postcard of Germany, and you see like just this small little town, uh, old houses, beautiful green pastures around it, And this was the kind of little town that we lived in. Just behind our house, uh, there were some cow pastures, and and the grass would go on forever, and it was so green and beautiful. And then there was just a, uh, I just remember some deep, dark forest out in the back that we could go play with. And in the middle of the pastures for the cows, there was a river. Well, okay, for a seven-year-old, it'd be a river. It was probably more like a stream or a brook or something. Uh, But but to me, at the time, it it was like a river. And it cut through the, the pastures. And I remember after um, a heavy rainstorm that had come through, uh, my older brother and I went out to go play uh, in the fields and just to have a good time and to do, I guess, what boys do and just mess around. So we're going over looking at the river or the brook or the stream. And, and we know that it, it had changed because there's so much water in it and it looked different. And it, it, was, it was full. And we were just playing around, and we were kicking dirt off of, off of the bank um, of the river, just kicking that dirt in, and watching the mud just fall in. My brother was a little way off, and um, as I'm doing this, we're just goofing off, just kicking that dirt. All of a sudden, I kick it, and I slip, and I fall in. And at seven years old, I, I could swim, but... The rain that had come had filled up that river. And all of a sudden, the water was too deep. The current was too strong. And there was nothing I could do. I was hopeless. And I remember just that experience of being under the water and trying to find something to stand upon and not being able to find it with my feet and knowing and just feeling the the current pulling me under and that I couldn't get out of it. That I couldn't get to the surface to catch my breath. That I couldn't get out. And so I had this overwhelming feeling of, is this it? 
And then all of a sudden, my brother, he hadn't forgotten. He remembered me. He knew I was there. And so he reached down and pulled me out of the water. And I received a gasp of breath. I knew that I had life again. And I just collapsed and just sat there and was so grateful and so thankful that he was there. That in that moment when I was helpless, there was nothing that I could do that my brother remembered and pulled me out and saved my life. Maybe you can relate to that experience. Maybe you can relate to feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you can relate to having that sense of just being sucked under. Not being able to catch your breath. Not being able to breathe. Just feeling just completely overwhelmed. And having this sense of death nearby. Well, hear the good news this morning. Hear the good news. The Lord remembers you. Just like the Lord remembered Noah and his family. The Lord has made a covenant with you. A promise. Just as he made that covenant with Noah. And what is that covenant? That covenant is our source of life. It is the covenant that says God is willing to at all costs, to do whatever it takes to make sure that you can be in a relationship with Him. That the water, the power, the destruction that the water has will not have the final word, will not have the final victory, but that He can pull you out of it. That He can breathe into you the breath of life, that He can pull you out so that you may have that new life in him.